Today's message, message is, again, out of the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus' uh, famous Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew 5 through 7. In this uh, sermon, even though it kind of feels like it's short and sweet and to the point, te Jesus teaches a new paradigm, a new way of thinking. Jesus himself models the Beatitudes, and he asks us, basically, to go and do likewise, all right? Follow him. And uh, we read last time that sometimes it's more than just a suggestion <laughs> that we also be merciful to, uh, to other people as God loves us and is forgiving to us. God, you know, is it too strong to say that God requires that? Um, but we discuss its evidence of our relationship with God. The payoff, if you read these Beatitudes, is that we'll get God's blessing and indeed keys to the kingdom of God, that we'll inherit the earth, that we'll be able to see God. Imagine that. And so I heard in a in some of my research, one of the pastors uh, contrasts that when the people of Israel, the people of God, came to God in the burning bush with Moses, Moses wasn't even able to look at God, but simply his afterglow. After he passed by, he saw the, his glory. And ever since then, with the temples and the priests, they weren't able to see God. But here is God come into flesh, our Emmanuel, saying, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for you will be able to see God. How do you like that? So it's kind of an amazing uh, things that we will um, be able to do, God is basically, Jesus is giving us the keys to the kingdom of God if we follow these things. I like this uh, quote. It's kind of, I'm not sure who came up with it, but I like it. Jesus came to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Jesus came to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. <laughs> so that's basically kind of the theme of the Sermon of the Mount, uh, on the Mount. You know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Right? So there's comfort as we uh, follow Jesus and follow his instructions, but also as we dig into these things, God also disturbs the religious folks, pokes the religious folks, disturbing the comfortable. So like the, uh, this is an important point to make with these uh, uh, beatitudes. They are certainly something to strive for. Um, what did I write there? Number six. We strain for these things, not for a relationship with God, but because of it. And that is really key. We strain for these uh, beatitudes, not for the relationship, but because of it. 
Because as soon as Christ came back and was resurrected and established the church through the apostles, they immediately wanted to layer on works. <laughs> and the church has been doing it ever since. Uh, holiness movement, uh, grace and uh, traditions and works. But today, we're on to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I will give you the one-word summary, so you can kind of put that in your mind as you listen to my many examples that I'll be giving. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God. And that is having a clear conscience, okay? A clear conscience. All right, let's get into it deeper, all right? Remembering this is not talking about our eternal destiny is not dependent on works, such as religion, not Peter asking, shall we forgive our brothers and sisters double the time that's required by the law? Then we will be, I don't know, considered good? No, not all religions can self-justify themselves. God is more holy than our religions. Buddhism, going to temple, Hinduism, um, even uh, the Pharisees and all the laws, and even a works-based Christianity. All right? This is not what this is talking about, these Beatitudes. For faith in Jesus and God establishes our relationship. We went from enemies of God to his children. All right? Enemies of God to his heirs. So because we are citizens of heaven we, versus being outsiders, it's very much like uh, the book of Ephesians. I think we'll probably be going in that direction next. We're the Apostle Paul speaks of taking off the old self and putting on the new self. So we are now citizens of heaven. He says, live a life worthy of the calling because we are justified. That's a biblical term. We, because we are justified, we need to work. I know it's kind of confusing. Because we are justified, we need to work at being sanctified. <laughs> right? So that's why I needed to say some pre, uh, what's it called, uh, preface statements that striving for these things, straining for the Beatitudes is not for the relationships, it's because of it, okay? Because we are justified, we need to work at being sanctified. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We are justified, but what happens when we backslide? What happens when we messed up? What mess up? In small group uh, this morning, we I heard someone mention something about New Year's resolutions. Okay, what happens when we fall off the wagon? Like the Apostle Paul says, "What I want to do, I end up. I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing." What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we backslide? You see the background chart there I have? It's of the stock market over the years. Sometimes that looks like our Christian walk, doesn't it? 
Sometimes a certain seasons, we're doing good, we're kind of on top of our game, and sometimes we crash and burn. Sometimes we're on the mountaintop, and sometimes we just feel like we're in the gutter. With our thoughts, behaviors, sometimes our past comes back to drag us down. But those that are pure in heart, purity in heart, I believe, is having a clear and clean conscience, okay, in a nutshell. Like having a clear and clean conscience. It's kind of like when Jesus, uh, when he walked the earth, when God walked the earth, washed the feet of the disciples. Now, he was certainly demonstrating servant leadership, right? I will lead you by serving you. That's what he was trying to drive home. But one pastor said, it's kind of like God justifies us on this work. We come to salvation, but as we walk along in life, our feet get dirty. (laughs) So if you're thinking of whatever, Palestine, you know, sandals. I don't know if they wore sandals. Do they really wear They wore Birkenstocks, right? Your feet are going to get dirty, right? They're dusty. As we walk along in life, just like that chart, things are going to challenge us. Temptation is going to hit us still, even though we are saved. We belong to God. We're citizens. Temptation still happens. We stumble and we backslide. And it's as if we need continual feet washing, (laughs) So even though we have been baptized by the Spirit, um, it's almost like we need to continually be cleansed. Yes, Jesus, what he did on the cross for us is a once and for all thing. If we died, God is going to look at us as justified. Okay, But let's not be naive. We still get dirty, <laughs> right? We're still not perfect, all right? We take two steps forward and one step back, and God's Holy Spirit starts to remind us, not only like the Apostle Paul says, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I want to do, God challenges us of what his uh, ideal is, and what I want to do, I don't do. And that is stumbling as well. So I kind of put up there, it's kind of like related to the feeling of the Holy Spirit that we talked about before. God gives us the Holy Spirit. Once we have it, we possess it. But like one past preacher said, I leak. <laughs> we leak the Holy Spirit. Because of sin, it inhibits, squelches, squashes the Holy Spirit in our lives. The manifestation of the Spirit. God's power and wisdom and all that. But God promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's some amazing verses. Um, That's first out of Micah 7.19. Listen to this. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 
One pastor said, God throws our sins into the deepest part of the sea, but there's no fishing allowed once God throws your sins into the sea. And we sometimes do that, don't we? Right? Satan tries to uh, cast doubt on our salvation. Gives us a guilt trip, right? Guilt is a good thing, you know. If you uh, uh, speed, you're over the speeding limit, and you see a police car right there, you get that instant scent of what? You look at your speedometer, guilty. <laughs> guilt, you know, comes over you. And it's by God's grace that they didn't see you. <laughs> you didn't get caught, right? But some of our sin turns to shame, and we live with that. Sometimes we have done things, thought things, walked in a certain way of life that still plagues us. Psalm 103 says it well. God has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to all those who fear him. For he knows we are weak. He remembers we are only dust. That was encouraging. Because uh, the passage that we brought up last time, when we fail to forgive others as we as we have been forgiven, God was angry at that servant, threw him into jail until he should pay back all that was old, which was impossible. And that sounds a little fearful of what happens when we do not uh, live up to God's standards. So again, I talked about it's not for the relationship, but it's but because of the relationship. And here Psalm 103 says it very tender and well. The Lord is like a father to his children. And we're talking about sin here. We're not just talking about, yeah, God comforts you, uh, etc. We're talking about God has removed our sin into the deepest sea. Not even now in the 20, 2024 do we know how deep the ocean is, right? God has cast our sin to the depths of the ocean where he no longer remembers them. He has removed our sin as far as from the east as from, is from the west. And the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He knows. He knows that we stumble. He knows that we backslide. He knows that our nature here on earth is ungodly. God saves us and he wants, and he doesn't want to just leave us in that state. He wants to show his glory in each of you and I. In the kingdom of God, what is this keys to the kingdom of God? He wants to start in your life, and my life. That's where the kingdom of God is going to start. And it's in this context of being poor in spirit, mourning our ungodliness, striving after righteousness, 
being pure in heart. That is a clear conscience. So let's get down to some practicality here, okay? We've talked about this concept, right? It's not for the relationship, but God wants to cleanse us. Scripture says in that uh, God wants us to be holy as he is holy, right? He wants to have us to have victory. He wants to have show his glory in your life and mine. So God's spirit, when we come to God, this once relationship, one time faith in God to save us from all our sins, God gives us the, his whole own spirit to prompt us of what he wants us to do. That is, he lets us know of where we fall short, okay? However, when we have unrepentant sin or known sin, it inhibits that relationship. It diminishes it. Though we are his, someone once said, you know, just because, you know, uh, Joanna and I have a fight, okay, over something, we don't cease to not be married, but there's a rift in the relationship. When you have an argument with your child, your son or daughter, it doesn't mean that you no longer are their parent or they are no longer your son or daughter, but there's a rift in the relationship. And this is an analogy. I believe this is what the uh, passage is talking about. And if you read on, if you just read ahead in Matthew uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, if we do these things, okay, if we, uh, when we give to the needy, if we're not showy and, and uh, look to get a pat on the back, when we pray, um, we don't want to be showy and religious. Uh, when we fast, we don't want to look pale and moan and tell everybody we're fasting and all the things we're doing. It says, if you do it the right way, you will get God's reward. Interesting, huh? I was talking to one of you not too long ago about there, there probably will be rewards in heaven. But if we don't follow these things taught by Jesus, we will not get God's blessing now. His rewards. It keeps us from rewards. Why do I bring that up? It's because we always talk about you know, becoming a Christian, we are a Christian, we have what? The reward is eternal life. <laughs> okay, right? We kind of make, I don't know, we reduce it down to this simplistic thing, you know? But our daily life, having unrepentant sin, known sin, dealing with our backsliding, dealing with our mistakes, keeps us from God's reward. That's kind of general, I know, but that's a time for another message. Like, what are those rewards? What do they look like? But it is, in a general way, again, keeping God's kingdom and glory from being manifest in our lives, just in a general way. One more comment, and then I'm going to bring you to a passage from King David. I believe when we have, when we have unrepentant sin... It causes mental and social disease, all right? 
It's the opposite of a reward, all right? We could certainly talk about that. And those are things that are kind of ethereal, right? Love and joy and peace and patience. But I think we relate to <laughs> the, the causes. I think we relate to unrepentant sin and <laughs> having that more so than the other. Because it causes, I believe, mental and social disease. You see, before sin entered the world in Genesis 2.25, right? Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. They had purity, communion, socially with one another and with God vertically. They had purity of heart. They had a right relationship with God and people. But when sin entered the world, what happened? They hid from God among the trees. Adam was afraid because he knew he was naked. He felt guilt and shame. He minimized his sin, and he blamed other people. All right? Unrepentant sin causes mental and social disease. Shame and guilt. Cartoon. Shame and guilt. God's own spirit brings to our conscience our infractions, our sin. But somehow, in our day and age, our non-religious society today, we think that guilt needs to be justified away. So people go to counseling (laughs) to get rid of their shame and guilt. I think it was Freud or maybe some humanistic psychologist that uh, hypothesized that a lot of mental illness is because of religion. (laughs) Right? They think, I cannot feel this shame. It doesn't feel good. It's not right. Shame and guilt. Therefore, I rationalize it away. I blame the world around me. And we see it in politics all the time. When confronted with error, they blame, minimize. Recently, there's this term that came up in our national politics called reality distortion. (laughs) I can't be wrong. It must be everybody else. (laughs) Right? I can't be wrong. It's everybody else's fault. We justify it. even in our modern technological age. But let's listen to David, King David, Psalm 32. If you want to jot that down, it's an awesome passage that preaches, teaches um, about the topic today. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 32, let's read together. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. All right, that's talking. Whose sins are covered. We're talking about our, the work of God in our life. As far as from the east is from the west, God covers our sin. Whose sin the Lord does not count against him. All right, that's our 10,000 bags of debt. <laughs> that's our 10,000 bags of debt. Uh, Uh, falling short. 
and in whose spirit is no deceit. Okay, we're not lying to ourselves. We're not rationalizing our real guilt. There is God. There is the Holy Spirit. Okay, here, here is our church saying the Holy Spirit is prompting our hearts of where we fall short and where we feel and where we should feel guilt. And we have to deal with that. Outside of the church, the world, psychology is saying, oh, these are bad feelings. You shouldn't feel this way. We need to, ra you have wrong thinking. Cognitive therapy, right? Let's listen to uh, King, King David. This is why he was a man after God's own heart. In verse three, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What is he talking about? Then I acknowledged my sin to you, God. And I did not cover it up. I did not cover up my inequity. I didn't rationalize, I didn't deny it, I didn't blame, I didn't minimize it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many are the woes of the wicked, and this is the God that loves all of us. Even yet, that's a wonderful Two words in the Bible. I forgot what the reference is. Even yet, while we were yet sinners, what? God showed his love for us. All right? So God already loves you and I, imperfect and all. And God wants to transition us to holiness. And we only are forgiven... When we acknowledge it, okay? So one preacher said, God does not promise anywhere in the Bible to forgive any sin that you have not confessed. Interesting. I don't know if that's... I don't know if there's a scriptural reference that speaks exactly to that. But the point is, what do we do with backsliding? What do we do when we fail? Here... King David shows us, by example, what to do. Then he says, But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. All right? Just like the previous verse I read, God treats us like a loving, caring father, knowing how weak we are, remembering that we came from dust. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds us for the ones who trust him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, You're, and you righteous sing. Uh, I think a word got cut off there. All you who are upright in heart. Upright in heart isn't perfect, all right? Some image of ourself that we're whatever, paragons of the community. But when David kept silent, 
and did not acknowledge, did not confess, there was a rift between him and God because he kept that sin. And he thought he could cover his sin himself. Socially and personally. Here the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 7.15 that I said before. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I end up doing. I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if it's poetic, it's, uh, what do they call it in engineering and things like that? Classic experiment, an elegant experiment. Something very simple that describes the complex, right? Just like Newton's laws of physics. It's an elegant statement. I think this is very elegant of the topic we're talking about today the complexity of our sin nature and God's forgiveness of us and what to do when we have unrepentant, unconfessed sin. Here it is. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we're pure in heart, when we allow God to purify us, we get closer to God. We're able to see God. His Holy Spirit is more alive in us. And we're only able to do that, okay, follow the logic, all right? Blessed are the pure in heart. How do we get pure? Got to allow God to purify us. How do we get purified? Well, we first have to acknowledge it, all right? We first have to acknowledge it. All right, wrapping up here and transitioning to communion. Some things to think about today, all right? Think about some of the verses that we talked about today. Maybe you feel shame and guilt that you carry around. Think about as far as from the east as from the west, God casts away our past, present sins. Think about how deep the ocean is. That when God looks at us, he sees us as justified and pure. But as we walk through life, we get dirty, don't we? Right? We get dirty. So think about some of these things as we Think about Jesus' sacrifice today. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about before you give your gifts to God, if you have a broken relationship with your brother or sister, obviously that we are part of it, all right? Leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile with your brother or sister. Is that what we need to do before we come before God and are reminded of our communion with God? Is our communion broken, damaged with God? Maybe not broken, but damaged because of some of these things. Do we have 
some of the symptoms of what King David is, was experiencing. King David was not perfect, mind you, but he was humble and contrite, a man after God's own heart. So this is what we are to do when we mess up. This is the process of sanctification. This is the process of purification. God wants to make us gold and get rid of our impurities. Purity in heart is a clear conscience. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You have removed our sins as far as from the east as from the west. Thank you, God. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender, and compassionate for those who fear and respect him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we were only humans made from the dust. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. King David said, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. When I did not acknowledge when I did cover up, when I did not confess my sin to you, God. But when we do, God, you forgive the guilt of my sin. God, your love is unfailing and surrounds us who trust you. For you are righteous and just to forgive our sin. You are able. Then we will rejoice and be glad. We'll sing all who are righteous and pure in heart. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Amen.